again. <laughs> We're still on the same verse. Maybe we'll make it into the next verse on this lesson. Uh, so we're in 1 Timothy, uh, chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. It says, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your kindnesses, your multiformed mercies, your love, for everything that you have expressed unto us in the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Lord, we would be nothing, we would have nothing if it were not for you. We praise you and we we worship you and we realize that even our ministries are an act of grace, a kindness on your part. Oh God, please help us to respond in a rational manner, knowing the great gift that has been given to us. Help us, Lord, to use whatever gift, whether it is a gift of a, a good mind or bodily strength, our education, our freedom. Let us use it all, Lord, for the benefit of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, he says that um, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Now, what does this mean, double honor? I believe that most likely it refers to two things, esteem and respect for a, uh, a servant who hopefully is selflessly giving himself to God's people. So it's esteem or respect. And then there's this idea of financial support. And we're gonna look at, at both of these. now. I want us to look at a passage that I think is extremely important. Um, so let, let's go to 1 Thessalonians again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you and the Lord and give you instruction. Now. Here in the New American Standard, it says um, that, that we would appreciate a person. And sometimes it's been translated respect, esteem. Uh, the word is actually, in verse 12, is to know them. To know them. That is the actual word that is used. It's from oida, means to know. Now. It can mean respect, um, and it's used that way, for example, in extra-biblical uh, resources. Uh, we see that in, in, in different uh, reference books. But um, literally, it means know them or get to know them. Now, in the Legacy Standard Translation, 
um, the one that came out of, of Grace Community and, and, and Master Seminary, um, which if you do not have it, I would greatly recommend that you purchase it. Um, it is so accurate in so many places, especially with regard to differences between verbs and participles, imperatives and participles, uh, conjunctions. Um, it, it provides an excellent resource, an excellent resource. So they've translated this literally in that they write, but we ask of you, brethren, that you know those who labor among you, that you know them. Get to know them. That's what A.T. Robertson says in his uh, commentary. Get to know your pastors. Now, there's a few reasons for this. First of all, the congregation needs to have knowledge of its pastors so that it can determine not just were they qualified, but are they qualified? You realize a man can disqualify himself. So you want to get to know the pastors with regard to qualifications. Not that you're judging them or scrutinizing them or have them under a microscope all the time, but get to know them. Are these really men who walk what they talk? You need to do that. But also you need to get to know them in the sense of understanding the hardship of ministry. You know, when I was young, one of the things that I heard probably as much as anything is, well, pastors only work two days a week. And they only do that for about, you know, 40 minutes each day. They just preach a sermon. That's all they do. And in some people's minds, that, that's what they think. And it's probably true that that's what some pastors actually do. But the faithful pastor he has to be very, very careful that he doesn't overwork to the neglect of his own family or the neglect of his own health. Congregations need to know what their pastors are doing. That doesn't mean that you become like a Pharisee in which you, you know, you beep a horn or beat a drum every time you do something. It doesn't mean doing all your works before men to be seen of them and honored by them. But people need to know what is involved in the ministry because that is the basis for appreciating it. That is the basis for appreciating. So it also says here in verse 12, it says, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those, know those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So you have to know their work. You have to know their character in order for you to esteem them. And so one of the things that, that we see is kind of, Payback for the ministry is respect, esteem. That those for whom you are caring, they see worth in you. And that's the greatest payment that you can be given. Now, there is nothing wrong with desiring to labor in such a way that the people of God see your worth. But there is a way in which that can become exaggerated and quite sick. And again, it's the grounds for a narcissist. 
that everyone's Christianity is basically founded upon you, that they go to you. And we need to be very, very careful. Walking in the truth, Conrad Murrell said this one time, walking in the truth is like walking on the edge of a razor blade. You can fall off either side. You should labor in such a way that the people esteem you, but you should be very careful that the people do not idolize you. And you should be very careful that you do not somehow become Christ's vicar on earth or some sort of mediator. You also need to be very careful that you're expounding scripture to the people. Your Bible is open and you're expounding scripture. You're not just giving them worldly wisdom because you happen to be a quite clever person. So the first thing that we receive in the ministry is respect or esteem. Now, let's go back to our passage in 1 Timothy. There is something else. There is a financial support that we quite clearly see here in the text. In verse 18, it's explained. It says, for the scriptures say, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Now, both those are very, very important. Now, we could go to 1 Corinthians now, not chapter 9, verse 7 through 15, and go through all of that. But um, it would probably take up an hour or so. I think it's quite clear what the text is saying is that a pastor is worthy of financial support. And he ought to be able to live in a manner that displays dignity and order and prosperity. Words like sensuality, luxury, extravagance should never be words that can somehow be pinned upon the financial support uh, given to a pastor. But words such as dignity and honor, those do apply. A pastor ought to be able to live, especially those who have a wife and have children. They ought to be able to live with dignity. There is also a sense, and one must be very, very careful here, is that there, there are differences. Um, there may be a pastor who is, is pastoring a, a, a extremely large church in an extremely affluent area. It gives him no right to live with an affluence that uh, smacks of sin. And yet at the same time, he may live in a manner that is quite different, live godly in a manner that is quite different from a dear friend of mine who works among one of the most primitive tribes in all the world. He lives in the middle of a jungle, in a hut, with no air conditioning, and, and insects the size of rodents in his house. And so there is a difference and we need to be very, very careful. There are extremes and you can fall off on either side. Now, so let's go on. It says in verse 17 that they're worthy of double honor, double honor. And what I believe is saying here is not just esteem, 
and not just financial support, but both. Now, there are some who have taken it. I mean, I've actually seen this. I've actually uh, dealt with people who believe this, not many, but that it meant you find what's the average salary in the church and you double it for him. Or you find the person with the highest salary and then give the pastor double that because he should, he's worthy of double honor. That's not what this text is teaching. Not at all. It's just that, yes, you should respect him if he serves well. You should honor him and you should support him. Now, I want to talk for a minute about bivocational ministry. There are people who are in bivocational ministry because there's simply no support. And uh, man, I honor that. I, I honor that. I've known men who are working in sawmills, uh, men working in factories, doing all kinds of things just to be able to preach. I also know men and women who have had to take up a vocation in order to get into a certain country. Uh, they work as translators or they teach English as a second language or they go in as a doctor and different things because it's the only way to get into that country to be able to share the gospel and to be an example to the people. I appreciate that. I, I so do. And so um, people who are working in bivocational ministries, nothing but respect, nothing but respect. But... I want to say something. I want us to look at Acts chapter 18. Verses three through five. And because he, that is Paul, was of the same trade, that's with Priscilla and Aquila, because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and they were working for by trade they were tent makers and he was reasoning in the synagogue every sabbath and trying to persuade jews and greeks now here we see quite clearly that at this point in his life paul is working as we could call a bivocational minister people will take this passage and say this is the will of god this is what should be done pastors should not be supported and they should just all be bivocational. Well, let, let's look a little further in verse five. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Notice that when Silas and Timothy came and obviously either caring carrying a gift or they were able to work, which I think the first is more, more prominent as an idea, but even if they were able to work and Paul was set free, the principle is the same. When Paul could be free from any vocation so that he could simply devote himself full-time to the word of God and teaching, he did it. He did it. So I want to say that bivocational labor is not the will of God for everyone. And also I should say that any man called into the ministry, called into the ministry of the word of God and prayer, if he has the opportunity to be set free in order to do that full time, every day, he needs to do it. 
Now, I want you to think about something. What does the world need above everything else? I mean, why is the world in the shape it's in? It's in the shape of, it's in because of sin. It's in the shape it's in because of the ignorance of God. The church is in the shape it's in because of the ignorance of God. How do we cure that? Well, God has given a means. It's men of God. Men of God with what? With the scriptures. But they can't have the scriptures if they're studying the Bible an hour a day. A half an hour a day. What does the world need? What does the Great Commission need? What does the church need? They need men who can devote themselves to what? As the apostle said in chapter six, prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, here's a problem. Many men who are paid to do that, some of them are lazy, not many of them, but some of them are quite lazy. Others are very distracted. As a matter of fact, most people called into the ministry with regard to the ministry of the word of God in prayer. They spend most of their time doing deacon things instead of pastoring things. Running around doing the labor that a deacon is supposed to be doing. I don't need an answer, but I just ask you this question. How many hours a day do you spend in the word? How many hours? How many hours a day do you spend in prayer? What does the world need? That, that very thing. That very thing. And so it's no badge of honor when you can be free to study, to take a job upon yourself, just so you can say you're bivocational. If you have to be bivocational, wonderful. Praise God for you. What devotion, what you're honoring Christ. But if you can be set free to do nothing but study, pray and preach, do so. And do so as quickly as you possibly can, because that's the great need in the world. Men who live, eat, sleep the word of God. Okay, so now I know I want you to notice that he says, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. This indicates to me not necessarily that there are certain ruling elders and teaching elders. I don't think it's that clear. But I do think that within an elder body, there are different types of men and different types of giftings. All must be apt to teach. All must fulfill those qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. But there are kind of different nuances of men. There are men who are tremendously gifted expositors and they should be doing that. There are men that are, are, are better in, in maybe leadership or administration. Now, we need to be careful here because I don't want any of you in your churches to have a pastor of administration. That's just downright foolish. Call it what it is. It's a deacon. If you want to have a full time deacon, absolutely wonderful. I totally agree with you. He could lead up all the other deacons and they could start doing what deacons are supposed to do and it would free the ministers up to do what they're supposed to do and the church will prosper. So he says, especially those who work hard 
at preaching and teaching. Work hard. Copiao. I have copiaoed a lot. You say, well, you're bragging on yourself. No, let me just stop. You're going through the jungle. It's not like on the movies. If you go more than a click, a kilometer, probably away from the river, there aren't really any paths. And I mean, you have to cut your way through. There are places where you just have to cut your way through. Copiao, that's what it means. And I mean, it is hard. You don't, you don't make much progress. That's why there are many, many places in the world where although people have gone up and down the rivers, if you go inside for more than a kilometer or two, no one's gone in there. There are huge areas of the world where no one has passed through. Why? It's just too difficult. You can't copiao your way through there. It's just too hard. And so it denotes, it comes from copos, which denotes a cut. It means cutting your way through a dense forest and therefore to work hard, to toil to the point of feeling fatigued, to, to wear yourself out, to be worn out in the word. Here's a question. Is that you? Is that you? Do you literally wear yourself out in cutting through the word of God? Of studying the word of God. This is what you're called to do. And the men who have devoted themselves to this have been the men that have had the pro most prosperous ministries. And when I mean prosperous, I don't need, mean they made a lot of money. I don't even mean that their church was big. I mean, they were used of God. They were used of God because they devoted themselves to this one thing. I mean, a man who will devote himself to the word of God. And I'll say something, I, I am in, uh, clearly in the Reformed Baptist camp, but I know, I, I know pastors who are not in that camp, who are not necessarily Reformed, but they are men who, you can say what you want, I can tell you they've devoted themselves to the study of God's word and God's blessed their ministry. God has blessed their ministry. And, and, and you, you need to realize this is what the world needs. This, this isn't some add-on. This isn't what you do at the end of the day. This isn't a, a drive, you know, on, at Saturday night trying to get ready for Sunday morning and have something to say. These are men who live in the Word. And there's so few. And don't think that just because someone has a huge megachurch that they live in the world. Many of them have built those megachurches on the bones of unconverted church members. They just have activity and entertainment. But there are men who have devoted themselves to the word. And I won't name names, but I, I, I could list for you some that, that literally they devoted themselves not to growing a big church, not to having all kinds of diverse ministries. No, they devoted themselves to only studying and preaching and praying. But from that, God grew a church. From that, God grew a seminary. From that, God grew, you know, take a look at Spurgeon. 
How many activities, how many ministries, how many missionaries, how many orphanages? But what did he do? Did he do all those things? No, he didn't. He preached the word. And I can go ahead and say it. Look at John MacArthur. Look at R.C. Sproul. Look at the men who just devoted themselves to the word. And what happened? God did all these other things, but through people with different gifts. Another thing, these men did it not by preaching to the Internet. They preached to their churches, but because they preached to their churches, it fed everybody around the world. Instead of trying to preach to the world, preach to the people in front of you. And if it's true for them, it's true for everybody else. So very, very important. So very important. Oh, young men, start out right. If you need me to come up there, you don't want me to come up there. But even to teach your church what you're supposed to be doing. They need to know, they need to understand. You have to teach your church what the pastor is supposed to be doing. I know good men who are absolutely wore out in their love for the people, but they're serving them as deacons when they're supposed to serve them as pastors. Now, sometimes in a small church, yes, you may have to take on things, but, but what you need to realize is it's, it's not permanent. You should be moving them to be a more biblical church. So now he says they wear themselves out because they work hard at what? At preaching and teaching. Literally what it says, they work hard at the word and teaching. Now, why doesn't he say Caruso or use some word that talks about proclamation? Why does he say the word? Well, I'll go out on a limb here. Maybe since they wear themselves out with the word, because you need to understand something. There's a lot of men out there who will wear themselves out preaching, but they won't wear themselves out studying. They don't wear themselves out with the word. They wear themselves out with homiletics. And that's a big mistake. That is a big mistake. I was reading of a man many years ago, many years ago, who if he was going to preach an hour, he prayed an hour before he got in the pulpit. I knew another man that I was reading about and uh, he was known to spend 30 to 60 hours preparing for a sermon. And it wasn't because he was trying to find a clever illustration. It wasn't because he was looking at these, you know, books on illustrations or how to say clever things or even how to make things rhyme. It was because he was in the text, in the text, in the text. I was talking to a friend of mine who's, he's unusual, all right, we, we're not him. And uh, I was asking him about his study time and he goes, yeah, I just finished uh, Ephesians. I read through it 12 times. I said, that's, that's amazing. He goes, in the Greek, 
said, that's even more amazing. So it's not just work hard at teaching. It's not just work hard at sermon preparation. It's not work hard at homiletics. It's not work hard at saying things cleverly. It's work hard at the word. There's a difference. There's a tremendous difference, and you need to understand that. You must understand it. It's absolutely essential. Absolutely essential. You need to be absorbed in these things. Remember, we talked about that. Be absorbed in these things. Now, I'm going to go to my friend and just read this to you by way of closing. Here's what it says about my friend. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. And to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Is there a, a logical order here, a rational order? Is there a temporal order? Seems like it. He didn't teach what he didn't practice. And he didn't practice what he hadn't gleaned from his study of God's word. I mean, this is the full package right here. I mean, this is laid out for us probably better than any other text in the Old or New Testament. He set his heart to study the law of the Lord. How, like, when you study the Bible and you set your heart to study it and you learn something, then how do you set your heart to practice it? Do you add that to your repertoire of study time of the things you do and then to teach isn't it true that sometimes we just jump to teaching or we jump from studying to teaching uh, I want to finish with this and um, one of the things that I think hurts us in preaching and uh, you know I, I'm kind of <laughs> probably the most disorganized uh, when I get in the pulpit, I'm just all over the place sometimes. I got my, my lowest grade in seminary in, uh, in preaching. Um, I, I think, though, that one of the mistakes that we're making is this. And I'm not talking about lazy men. I'm talking about good men, very good men. They will look at the text They'll read it, they'll, they'll study it, they may look at it in the original language, they make sure they've got the grammar right, they come to their conclusions, they work hard at it, they look at other commentaries, they make sure that they're in the center of evangelical Christianity, they're willing to open themselves up to learn from other scholars, and then they teach. And there's a stage missing there's a stage missing. What is that stage? Reading over the text over and over, looking at the things that you've gleaned over and over for two days. I'm not saying all day, those two days. 
But until it becomes a part of you, it, it, it becomes a part of you. And I, I'm afraid that because we haven't set in order the, and haven't exalted the ministry of deacon and administrators and other things that even the godly men who are pastors, you know, they, they get to Sunday morning without that one stage. And it's still like, it's just my notes. Uh, now you can preach with notes and it be internalized. I'm not saying don't use notes. You can use notes and it's internalized. It's a part of you. It's just the way God made your mind and everything. That's fine. But if it's just correct notes and you're trying to communicate them, that's not fine. I have friends that use no notes. I have friends that are basically lashed to their notes. I've seen both of them used tremendously. But what they have in common is they had enough time so that what they were teaching actually had had an impact upon them. You know, I, I wish sometimes we had a nine day week. Then again, we'd probably get lazy and still be where we are right now. But I want you to think about that just time, time. Also, if. You know, at the end of your preaching, let's say that you're studying for a sermon three hours a day or something like that, four hours a day. I don't, I don't know what it is. Reserve the last half hour, 45 minutes. Just feed upon it. Just just think about it. OK, just pray over it. Just even though you're you're at the raw stages still keep doing that. Cry out for God to make this, make, make me a living epistle. Make me a living sermon of this. Call, cause it to grab a hold of me so that I urge the people. And I think when it comes to homiletics where, you know, it's, I, it's a wrong type of homiletic where it's teaching people to get illustrations from the newspaper and form all these these silly things, I, 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 I don't like that. But there is a true sermon preparation. And, but there's a man preparation. And it's got to start the moment you open that book. You, you need to think about it transforming you, it grabbing you. What is it? What is it in that text? Now, another thing I'd like to say, and, and I was sharing this with my dear friend and co-laborer, Jeff Schauber, yesterday. Um, we had to make a decision, um, an administrative decision at the mission. And it was amazing. Um, about two months ago, I had studied, I'm, I'm, I teach through the book of Proverbs for children, and uh, I had studied a passage that dealt with the very administrative issue we were going through. And in order to make that administrative decision, I came into the office, I opened up uh, Proverbs 6, I expounded it to administrators. And in that we found our answer, okay? And I was telling my friend Jeff, I said, Jeff, you know, the men that I, I most respect, um, John MacArthur, uh, Brian Borgman, uh, 
and Tom Ask, all these men, they, they seem to have one thing in common. Well, they have many things in common, but one thing that stands out is they, they exposit books. There, there's just, there's no way, there's no better way to learn the scriptures than expositing them. And, and I would encourage you men to, to, to really think about that. And I know some men, this doesn't work for all, some even disagree with it, but some men who their exposition is their devotional time. Oh, they'll read the Bible, they'll read through the Bible, but their, their exposition and their devotional time in the sense of the word of God are one. And imagine you spending, you know, six days a week on six verses and marching yourself through the book of Galatians, marching yourself through the book of Romans, marching yourself through the Song of Solomon. Of what kind of power is in that? Okay. Well, I'll leave you with all of that. And uh, the next time I'm with you, we will talk about uh, a very, very important topic dealing with the selection of elders, the discipline of elders, and uh, how we need to do all things in Christ's church with a great deal of caution. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray, dear God, that you would use it. Oh, God, use your word for the benefit of your people. And I ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name.